Good morning, LBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to The Story Podcast. Today, I have a super awesome guest, Adam Kissinger. As a Berks County native, local culture has always been a huge inspiration for Adam, and he often filters through a countercultural lens. Hence, Deichpunk aptly describes his approach to most, to most things in the world of art and expression, as well as his aversion to all things mainstream. He firmly believes that art is about telling the story, not selling it. Steeped in classical traditions of performance, Adam studied dance since the age of eight, acting, music, and voice since middle school, and started to get paid to act around the age of 12, and then went on to study theater at Custown University back when it had a theater department. After school, Adam pursued his teaching certification and the album method for emotional expression and has spent the next 12 years waiting for people to admit they finally have emotions. And he's still waiting. Adam performed in several bands in the Reading music scene from high school through college, worked with many local theater companies, and worked at too many college theaters programs right before their funding was cut. He has seen a lot of local art programs die. But during the COVID and since, Adam was a member of the Pandemic Players PA, a frequent participant of the Bones Culture Music Collective, shout out to Ben Oaks, and he also stumbled into home recording his music but will never call himself a producer. Currently, he is the tech director for Penn State Berks, a very proud member of the IATSE Local 97, and co-founder and creator with Rad Scrapple and the Actors School of Lancaster, whose goal is to transform actors into artists. You can find them on Spotify, Bandcamp, Scrapple, and Actors School, all, all at LancasterActingSchool.com, or in any of the links in the description below. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Corey. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm all really right. excited to talk about all the stuff that you, you've done, because it's, it's a lot. I'm really excited to share with your uh, audience that, first of all, uh, Corey was sitting here editing my bio and yelling at me for all the double spaces that I placed after the periods and apparently one after the comma. I was and really enjoying watching that process. I will, I will continue <laughs> to hate the, <laughs> the practice of double spacing after a period. Corey is the fighter of the I double hate space. It. <laughs> and that's the story with Corey, ladies and gentlemen. And that's the story. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so what was it as a kid that you start you I mean you started uh, dancing at the age of three was that was that practice dancing or was that you just chilling out as a baby? Well, uh, no, at a dance studio. So the story with that is I had an older sister who was in dance classes with uh, Step in Time was the name of the dance company and our teacher was Cindy Cadell, um, and. A few times I would go with my mother to pick up my sister, and when that would happen, they couldn't keep me from joining the other dancers on the floor. So when I was probably about two and a half, three, my mom put me in dance class, and I continued to do that with that company probably until about my sophomore or junior year in high school, and then I continued to uh, study dance when I went to college as well, and... Tried to keep it up as much as possible afterwards. You know, did a few dance projects, but it's been mostly uh, theater, music, and stagehand work since I graduated. I'm curious, what is what is the dance curriculum for a three-year-old, if you know it all? Probably started with a lot of, uh, you know, this is my left foot, this is my right foot, and all mm -hmm. that stuff. You know, tumbling, like, you know, acrobatics, really just kind of 
at that point, it's getting the kids on and off the stage in a costume and having them not cry. That's fair enough. But I loved it early on. You know, there's something about physical communication and just the uh, the enjoyment of movement that is very important to me. And I think mm. it's very important to um, to storytelling. You know, it's part of the uh, it's part of the spectacle of theater. So what got you into acting and, and uh, from then, then on? Uh, sure. It came directly out of the, the dance studio that I was working with. So one time, our dance teacher suggested to everybody to audition for a local community theater who was doing Oliver. Mm. And I was eight at the time. And she had suggested to some of the older students that they go and audition because they were ready to be part of the chorus. And we all went, and I was the only one who got in, and they cast me as Oliver. Oh, wow. So that was Limelight uh, Productions out of uh, Boyertown. I'm not sure if they're still around. But, yeah, after the age of eight, I just kind of stuck with the community theater scene I think I participated in, in one show almost about every year until I was about 12, and then I started doing uh, uh, dinner theater um, and just kind of snowballed from there, I guess. I had no chance to escape. <laughs> there was no other option. Please help me. I'm a performer. So, well, yeah. So uh, did you ever do it in the high school as well? or? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did the high school musicals. Um, I went to Schuylkill Valley. We did one musical in the fall. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, one musical in the spring. And there was no other like drama department, so I never really did any uh, classical text or you know straight plays until I got to college. Mm. Okay. So what do you think is it about theater that just hooked you? Seeing what you can do to an audience. And I didn't know at the time, but that's essentially catharsis. Mm -hmm. That's why people not just go, that's why people become an audience, not just for theater or for music, but it's why they are a congregation of a church. It's why they become members of a local community group, whatever the topic may be. It's community, it's catharsis, it's becoming something that's uh, bigger than yourself. And as I just continued to pursue and study theater, um, in my mind, this is why we are the way we are. You know, um, performing in rituals before we had written history was our storytelling. It was somebody who needed to perform and somebody who needed to watch. And they informed each other as to what a human is. Um, I really believe that this is a very important part of us deep down, you know, just to perform or to watch a performance and to gain some kind of appreciation or understanding from that. Mm. So what do you think were some of your most cherished experiences throughout theater so far? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Great question. They were not... Some of my proudest moments as a performer was not in a uh, traditional performance. Mm. One of the things that just came out of a class that I was in in college is that we started doing devised work 
around just the notion of addiction. And that was the challenge that the, uh, the professor gave for the actors. You know, let's, let's come up with some scenes or some characters around the notion of addiction. And none of us went stereotypical with that. You know, you think of addiction, sure, there's, there's drugs, of alcohol, course, right. chemical, chemical addictions, all those kind of things. So we came up with uh, the sneakier ones, you know, uh, online addiction or image addiction or... Uh, or a work addict, you know what I mean? Somebody who always had to be a perfectionist or something like that. And somehow we ended up touring this scene to, I think it was a local high school or something. And my character was an image addict. So I would constantly be exercising, doing push-ups, staring at myself, hating myself in a mirror. And... As we were doing this performance, I saw this uh, very attractive student, you know, a young lady who, you know, by the definition of the times looked very, you know, uh, just, I don't want to say the word trendy, but like you, you could look through like a, a, a Gap magazine or something and she looked she exactly, there. yeah, she was exactly like pretty much what everybody at the time wanted to look like. She fixated on my character immediately. And I saw it as it was happening. She was staring at me. She was not looking at anybody else. And then there was also a, a counselor there. And after the performance, she made a beeline right up to the counselor. And the situation was that she just was, was living the circumstances of my character. She was, you know, a well-put-together-looking person. She looked like she had everything together, but she could not love herself. And I don't really know what happened after that moment, but that was powerful enough to me to solidify the effect that a performer can have on an audience member. The, the ability to provide catharsis for somebody who's suffering in a way that's almost difficult to communicate. You know? Yeah. How do you explain that to somebody? <sighs> That what you do matters. That what you do matters, That yeah. what you do is important, and you don't really know the effect that you can have. And then, that was a very profound experience. I really appreciate that. That still resonates with me. And beyond that, uh, I've done a lot of children's theater. <laughs> and they are the most rewarding audience possible. If they don't believe what you're putting out, they will tell you. And if they like what you're doing, they, they will, will just cheer and applaud. There is no filter. Uh, by far, children are the best audiences. And it's very rewarding just to, They're very funny to get a rise out of them, you know. Very, very much so. Um, so from there, you've worked at many other colleges and many other uh, theater departments. What is your goal from there? You've seen a lot of theater die. I've seen a lot of academic programs fail. Mm -hmm. So after, shortly after I graduated from Kutztown, they put the theater department in a moratorium so that they weren't accepting any new theater students, but any current theater students there had to be able to graduate. In order for a theater student to be able to graduate, they usually have to do some kind of project as their you know, senior project or whatever. Like recital or something. Yeah, like a recital. And it's usually a performance. So I got hired back as the tech director for that theater department. And 
stayed there until the end in 2014. Um, during that time, I was also working, I think, a semester as an adjunct professor at Penn State Berks. Um, I've done some work for Albright, Alvernia, and I will still get those two confused. Um, currently, I'm at, I'm at Penn State Berks again as their technical director. Uh, there may be some more in there, but it's been uh, usually just kind of like a one semester at a time kind of thing. But it is, I don't know, its it irks me to see these departments going down, but also seeing a need for them mm. in the community because of the, uh, the atmosphere of the, the theater world and actors and the way things are right now. Especially here in Lancaster. Especially here, well. In central Pennsylvania. Yes, yes. Lancaster is a good example of it. I'm not sure if I would say especially here in Lancaster because I've seen something very similar in other places. Mm. Um, and it needs to be addressed, and we can do that. What, well, what, needs, what is that need? What, what, what is the thing that shall not be named that needs to be addressed? The thing that shall not be named. Um, you know you're allowed to say I don't know. Mm. You're allowed to admit if you don't know something and then you can go and learn the thing. So in my experience, because of the, the weird nature of the industry that this, that is a part of this art form, which tends to send everybody away from their community. You know, there's this notion that, Oh, well, if you're going to be an actor, are, are you going to New York? You got to go to Broadway. Are, are you LA. going to, yeah. Are you going to LA? You know, cause that's where actors go. That's where the industry, that's, that's where people assume the industry is. Mm -hmm. I mean, 20 years ago, maybe that's the only way that you're getting work. But it's still an art form. There's still an importance to it and something that we can appreciate and create locally. I mean, just about everybody probably knows somebody who plays an instrument that has no desire to perform in front of other people. Of course. You know, and... I don't know why, but we use the word hobbyist for them. Even though I, I know several guitar players that are fantastic guitar players that they don't want to be in a band, they don't need to perform in other people. It's, it's an act of love that they do for themselves. But people don't go up to them and say, well, when are you going to Nashville? You know, you, you, you haven't played in, in X place, so you must not be that good. But there is that stigma in theater, and it works both ways, that... It doesn't matter your skill set. It matters where you have performed. Mm. And also, the, the, the reverse, it's true. Well, if you performed here, then you must be good, whether you objectively are or not. That baffles me. You know, it, it, if you can do math, you can do math. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very concrete kind of thing. And I do believe that acting and, and art should be for everybody. But when you get down to the skill sets that, you know, basically you're, you're, you're talking about the golden triangle. You know the golden triangle? Explain it for people who don't. Yeah, the golden triangle is a rule for creating almost anything. You know, so the points of the triangle are good, cheap, and fast. Mm -hmm. And usually you can only pick two. If you need something and you need it to be produced good and fast, it's not going to be cheap. If you need it fast and cheap, it's probably not going to be good. 
So the mark of a professional in any arena is being able to just round out that triangle a little bit. So a professional will be able to compromise those things. An artist is someone who is able to round that out even more. So in my mind, the mark of a professional performer or actor is just somebody who is able to balance out those skill sets efficiently. And that's allowed to be, that, that, that's, that's quantifiable. You can measure those things. That's, that's completely divorced from the notion of talent, which is really hard to describe or measure. But I also don't think it's necessarily as important as passion, dedication, work ethic. Um, and say if, you can, if you have those passion, work ethic, you can make up for the talent or lack of. The, tal- the lack of talent becomes almost invisible. Yeah. You know, I, I go back and forth on the word talent or just the fact that it might exist. I like inclination. Mm. People have natural inclinations towards things. Talent is this specter that we've been either faming or blaming for a long time as if you just show up as a child in this world and you're already perfect, perfect at something. Right. Um, I don't think it's as important as, you know, teaching people how to communicate with movement, teaching people, you know, skill sets such as vocal production or like stage combat or dance or any of those things. Um, that to me is the, the area that's worth examining. And that's kind of a a goal that I have, you know, like approaching these skill sets from the ground up in order to build moments that lead to a performance. So how do you reach that goal? What are the steps that you have taken to reach that? So one way to approach that goal is to break down the myth of what most people think is success within this industry. Mm. And that's, that's, you know, uh, that's a judgment that I don't want to necessarily put onto other people. Like, what is your... Let me, let me stop there and say, I think that because theater is an art and not just an industry, there's something to be appreciated about it on every level. Mm. I think, and I hate to use these terms, but I think amateur theater is just as important as professional theater. I think community theater is just as important as Broadway. Yeah. I think high school or musical performances is just as important as Hollywood because who is your audience? What is your goal as a performer? Who are you trying to reach? And so getting back to your question, how do we approach that? Well, that's our main goal with the actor school is just that, you know, transforming actors into artists, which sounds really pompous to say. (laughs) I admit that. But what does it mean? 
You know, what does it mean? Because if you break it down, in the world of theater, there are all these people who kind of just want to get to a goal and don't really care how they get there. Mm. They just want to put in the minimal amount of work to get their equity card, which is the actor's union, so that they can go to New York, so that they can do these things. But I've seen so many people do that, and they don't end up being satisfied as an artist. They don't end up being happy. They go to New York, and then they you know, spend all their money, and they come back from Pennsylvania. Not to mention that most New York actors are just people from Pennsylvania to begin with. <laughs> so why don't other businesses do that? You know, like, why are you doing a podcast here and not at New York? If you go to the best carpenter in Lancaster, are you going to say, hey, man, why aren't you work?" or, you know, not to assume right. it's a man, but hey, are you working in New York? Okay, then if you're not, why, you know, what makes you think that you're good at your job? It doesn't make any sense, but it's a very important thing in the world of acting. And that's one thing that I would like to help to fight against that it can be just as important for an artist to stay in their community and reach the audience that's already there. If that's aligned with their goal. You know, right. if you're somebody who the very second that you heard of theater, all you ever wanted to do was, was go to Broadway and be that kind of thing, that's in line with who you are. That's in line with your goal. That, that's you okay. should follow your passion. Yeah. Absolutely. But too many people feel like they've never done anything Unless. Because they haven't done it in New York. And for me, it's not the venue, it's the audience. It's the performance. You know, what What are you doing and how are you doing it and did you do it well? And it's also to say that if, you all, if everyone's going to New York, you're leaving your community behind, who's there to your community to send people out to New York, to send people out into L.A. and to like the bigger quote-unquote, bigger uh, industries. Right. Who's teaching the next generation? Yes. That it, it stifles itself if every professional goes to, you know, the mecca of their industry in, 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 in their mind. Who's left to teach the next generation? And that's something that really sticks out to me. Mm. So how did you start the actor school? Talk about it. Uh, what's the Alba method, etc.? Yes, Alba. We will definitely get into that. Um, so the Actors School, uh, we started that in 2019 because there was no indication that there was a pandemic coming. <laughs> so why not, you know, get back into freelancing at the time? Um, I wanted to participate in a way that I felt like certain groups in the community didn't really want me to participate. And that's a thing. You know, that's a thing in the acting community. That's okay. Everybody has their community. But in Lancaster in particular, there are so many theater companies. There's like a million. There are so many theater companies, which, which should be a good thing. But given what the area is, they're all kind of sharing the same low resources in the first place. And, you know, that's, you talk to any of them, they'll all say the same thing. Um, and we were a group of actors. We wanted to do things, and we looked around, and it made no sense to start another theater company. We were already each working with several other different theater companies, 
but I have an abundance of training. And I think if I have uh, any stroke of luck in this life, it's the teachers that I have attracted. I have learned from some amazing people, and it's very much my desire to share that. So we didn't want to start another theater company. We looked at the acting schools that are in the area, and I don't mean this as an insult, but they are all geared towards children. Mm-hmm. All of the acting schools in the area, and not only are they geared towards children, they're trying to create Broadway babies. That is the verbiage that they use in their advertising. You know, come study with us. We will get your child to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, why? Why don't you just make them a good performer? So that's what I wanted to do. I want to take a look. I'm, I'm obsessed with like defining acting and what it is and how to approach it. That's what I would really like to examine throughout my life, but I feel like I'm able to offer to people the nuts and bolts of how to be an effective communicator at the very least, which is very important to performing. You know, uh, clear communication of your body, clear communication of your your facial muscles. Um, It's very important to life as well. That's very important to life as well, absolutely. Um, And... So that, that became our goal. We wanted to train actors who are interested in the artistry of acting maybe a little bit more than the industry of acting. Mm. You know, people who, you know, to quote Stanislavski, people who appreciate the art in themselves, not themselves in the art. And... Another aspect of that, uh, Rad Scrapple, which came out of the actor's school. So I have a big crossover with like the, you know, local music scene. And I've started and have been a part of a lot of bands. What bands do is they get together and they suck. They get together and they rehearse Mm -hmm. and it sounds terrible until it sounds good. And then they do it in front of somebody else. Mm-hmm. I would like to do that with actors as well. So that's what we did. We got together and we started Rad Scrapple, Rad Scrapple as we would a band. Let's get together and how does an actor do a song the way a, magici- a musician does? What are the, the small little bite-sized bits of a performance that we can stack upon each other until we feel good enough to do it in front of people? Um, and that has been a very rewarding experience because it has the opposite of the pressure that is usually put on a performer when they're doing a performance where people will usually just rehearse for a month or two and they have this whole script and there's this deadline that they have to meet and they have to rush to memorize and internalize all the lines. And, you know, when they get to performance, you know, things get compromised. Either they remember the lines or they know how to use their bodies, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's boring to watch. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Do you consider boring? Because I'd argue that that's really fun to watch. Lack of engagement. It's it's fun to watch somebody floundering a little bit. Oh, oh, never mind. Okay, I got you. I got you. I no, got it can be. Yeah, right, right, right. It, it certainly can be. You know what I mean? Like when you go to uh, when you go to an open mic at a bar, 
or, or when you go to like a See, the karaoke. Office. It's like the the, office, yeah. It's like half of the office is people floundering around. So that's uh, you know, uh, I guess a comedy of manners. That's 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 pointing out um, the the, the awkwardness mean, yeah. of those social cues. You know what I mean? So so if your goal as the character is to be the awkward one, and you're you're pulling it off, that's great. But if you're supposed to be if you're unintentionally doing it, right? It's, if it's like, uh, oh, I'm actually forgetting my lines. If you're unaware of your intentions, if you're unaware of how you're communicating, why? Let's examine that. And the number one thing is legs. Like, if I can, if I can teach American actors one thing, it's that you have legs. And your legs <laughs> communicate emotion as well because you have all these people that perform on a stage and this is it. This is, I am acting. I am acting from the waist up. But what about this? When you get angry in real life, yeah, your, you whole legs, body, yeah. your whole body engages. So that's the number one thing I'd love to teach actors. You have legs. You have legs. <laughs> For those of you who are just listening to the audio version, you'd, you'd stand up. And use his legs as acting, which is a very good point. I mean, you see it all the time with people who, like, if, you, if you're doing a monologue, they're standing still. And it's like, well, you can walk around to be or not to be. That's, you know, it's usually someone just standing there saying, saying that monologue uh, a whole, like, what, how long is it? Like a two-minute monologue? Ish. Depends Ish. on how you connect the moments. Depends on what you do with it. Right, exactly. But it's like the, most of the time they're just stood still. And you're right. You can make so much more emotion just by walking or using your legs and positioning yourself for success. It's another tool to indicate what your the emotional quality that your character is going through. And I think every tool that you can use to communicate that is important to reaching your audience and getting across to your audience what you're trying to communicate. So why Rad Scrapple? Rad Scrabble, yum. Um, that title is actually uh, kind of well thought through. So it, it, <laughs> the way Rad Scrapple came about was, um, so we started the actor school. And just by its name alone, that kind of had a very uh, defined goal to mm. be a school. And then... You remember that COVID thing we were all doing for a while? For a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we were all just sitting around with nothing to do. Pandemic, P- pandemic players of PA came first, um, which was a group of local actors. I'm still very proud of this project. Uh, for a while, you know, we started as, in March of 2020, it was like, well, we're all out of work for a couple weeks let's read uh, a script. And we chose um, uh, an original BBC broadcast of um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. So we did that, and then we still didn't have jobs. <laughs> so it was like, uh, we got another idea for another performance, and then we, and this was all over Zoom, you know, so we did a variety show, and then we did like a poetry night, and we did these things. And then it just kind of snowballed into we were almost producing a different show every night, and a lot of it was original content. So we had this 
training period of learning how to perform over Zoom, learning how to work with each other, creating our own things, creating some characters that we wanted to continue. And it didn't feel right uh, to put that content under the actor school. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, which I argued against at the time. I was like, no, we have this one thing. We don't need another thing. But some, you know, one of my partners at the time, he convinced me, you know, if we're going to be doing like stuff that we don't, content that we don't feel is represented by the actor's school, uh, because we can get, you know, a little R-rated with our content, certainly, uh, we decided to just create a different entity. And that was Rad Scrapple. So Rad was a word that very much reflects the the 90s kind of aesthetic that a lot of us grew up in, you know? And then Scrapple is a local PA Dutch cuisine, which is very delicious with apple butter. Um, and it was a way to comment on our generation and our locality, mm. um, which are a few things that we cannot escape I mean, I mean, people can, but I feel like my the, the group of performers that are in there, we are just very much of our time and our area and choose to represent that. I like the name a lot. I love Scrapple. Scrapple is a childhood. I grew up in Salisbury, Pennsylvania. Uh, Salisbury, Pennsylvania. Salisbury, Maryland. <laughs> okay. Scrap, but even there we had Scrapple. And so that's all I was like, hmm. Red Scrapple. Scrapple should know no borders. Scrapple. <laughs> So, what are future plans for? Uh, oh, we didn't even get to Alba. Ooh, we didn't even get to Alba. So, as I mentioned earlier, I have just stumbled into relationships with some of the most amazing teachers, some amazing thinkers, and and people that have just these amazing careers, and and, and I, it baffles me to think that I grew up from such a small little area of Berks County and have studied with people who, you know, have had a huge impact in the world of acting. Um, and one of my, my, my advisor in college, uh, a woman named Roxanne Ricks, absolutely brilliant and just, a true artist, a very dedicated performer. Um, not only was she an assistant to Sonia Moore, who um, I believe is like, you know, uh, who at once was an assistant to Stanislavski, I believe. So these, and this may not have any context for, for some people, but this is just like acting nerd stuff. I've studied with cool people who have studied with cool people. Mm -hmm. Something else that Roxanne Ricks studied was she studied with a woman named Susanna Block, and Roxanne was one of the first Americans to train in this technique, which is for, in a very structured way, understanding what your emotions are and how they can be, I don't want to say manipulated, but how you can, you can actively control emotional expression. Yeah. So that's what... Uh, Alba emoting is, which is the the name that Susanna gave it, Alba emoting. Emoting is such a no, no, naughty, bad word 
to actors in America. Really? They do not emote. They create characters. <laughs> I mean, that's what they say. I would argue right. that you, you know, create very weak characters with no emotional expression. But I don't understand the suppression of emotions in acting. Mm. Actors are very against, and this directly comes out of the Stanislavski method. So I've studied with somebody who is at this point of confluence between these two very effective acting techniques as if they're going to cancel each other out, as if the mind and the heart can't exist at the same time with the body. Um, But anyway, Alba is a very in-depth study of what our pure emotional states are. And according to Susanna, we have six pure emotional states. And when I say a pure emotional state, we as people are never in our lives in a pure emotional state. We are always in mixed emotional states. A pure emotional state is like pure anger. Like if you're defending your life, like if you're actually killing a bear (laughs) or other pure emotions, like you're directly seeing God or something or have the, the untainted joy of an infant. Uh, We don't experience emotions this way. We mix them. We habituate them in every possible way based on every experience that we've ever had in our life. You know, anytime that somebody ever got upset at you because you were upset, you learned to amend that for somebody else. So we are constantly monitoring our emotional output anyway, which is probably necessary for society to exist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But as far as a performer, why would you not study and train your body to be able to express anger different from your personal anger, to be able to Mm. construct sadness for a character that is not your personal sadness. You know, like for for one example, in in our country, in our society, there is a stigma that women are not allowed to be angry and men are not allowed to cry. And so a lot of men uh, will, yeah, yeah, they will integrate sadness into their anger. I'm sorry. They will integrate anger into their sadness so that when they get sad, they display anger instead. And females are often trained to do the same, like social conditioning. When they feel anger, they display sadness. Okay, so... Emotions are physical. Mm-hmm. That is a thing I would really like to teach other people. Emotions are physical. They're not just a mental process. It's not a thought thing. So when you're engaged in an emotional state, there's a physical process that goes along with it that regulates your circulation, your, your, your breathing, all of these things that are very important for us to be us. And when you receive a stimuli and you need to have an emotional expression, you do need to have it or else that's, that's, that's what we repress these things. And that, that becomes, you know, um, unresolved trauma that we have to deal with at some point or else, you know, you will have a negative effect. Um, So Alba 
is the way our emotions work. It's learning about them. It's not just an acting technique. It's not just for actors. It's, it's absolutely for everybody. But from an actor's perspective, it is this incredible tool for you to be able to use to manipulate, to create very believable characteristics. And it's actually really easy. Yeah. I mean, it takes some time to learn, but all essentially all you're doing is you're manipulating your facial muscles, your breathing pattern, and some elements of your, your posture and your body tension state. That's essentially all of our, that's, that's what all our emotions are. But then we got caught up with the, the psychological aspect of it or, and then we blame ourselves for having an emotion. So we get angry and then we get sad that we get angry and then we're scared that we got angry at somebody and they're going to have a, an opinion about that. And then we're worried about what they're going to do the next time. And then we're extra happy the next time that we see them. And then we get burned out because we used all of our happiness and. Right, right, right. It just keeps going. I'm but curious. It doesn't have to. If you control your uh, physical responses, do you? Does that in turn increase your your uh, emotion? Like if you, as a performer or as a person, let's do both. Okay, as a performer first. Do you like actually physically get angry when you start doing all that stuff? You, through the training process. There's, there's three stages of learning this. We call it the first stage robotic, where it's very big and you don't really know what you're doing. It's like when a, a small child begins to write, you use the big pencil and you use the, the lined paper with the big spaces in between so that you're, you can, your awareness can pick up more information as you're going through that. And then there's a stage where you have an induction, where you're doing these things and all of a sudden your body goes, oh, I know what you're trying to get me to do. Over time, you get used to that so much that it becomes integrated and it has you use less effort. It, it's, it's more natural. Your body trusts you a little bit more. Um, so as a performer, there is a level where you get a choice. So like to your question, if I use the anger pattern as a performer, do I actually feel the anger? Well, it depends on the level of intensity. Um, ultimately, I would say, yes, you do. But another important process of, of the ALBA method is what we call the step out. Mm. So we begin with a way to consciously leave any unwanted emotional engagement. Um, so because of that safety feature, you have a way to get out of it if it's unpleasant or if you can't release it. But we're not that smart. You know, like the Susanna said, the brain, the brain is flawed, but the body is perfect. You can't fool the body. If you're in anger, you're, if you're in anger, you're in anger. You know, if, if you're sad, you're sad. You can't fool it. And, and. You know, a lot of times the discomfort with emotions comes from in life. If you're you're sad and you try not to be, uh, there's a miscommunication in the body, and you know it, and other people can tell it. You know, you can you can tell by reading people's body language how they're doing. You know, this is 
something that apparently empaths are, you know, have an inclination towards. Um, so there are people like that you could be directly lying to, lying to yourself, lying to them, but they would know it better than you can. Mm. It's because of all these, these, these physical cues. So the body is perfect. You can't fool the body. And again, that's, those are Susanna's words, but I agree. Now, in life, when I'm teaching this, when I'm teaching Alva to people, there is, at, at certain points, a discussion of, you know, we are people, we are flawed, and we need these experiences. Um, and if you're trying to learn this emotions technique, to monitor that and never feel emotions again for the rest of your life, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. And it probably won't really work. No. Because it's the opposite of intention. Intention is mental. You, think, you have a thought, you want to do the thing, but if you're in an emotional state that works against that, you know, again, there's going to be dissonance between the body and the mind. Yeah, and besides, why would you want to live a life without emotion? That sounds like a very not livable life. I would ask the question, why do we do that? Not just why would you mm. want to, but we're constantly doing that. You know, some people do it more than others, but um, it it doesn't have to be a choice that you constantly make to put on that mask for other people, especially if you're, you know, especially if you're really suffering. Yeah. So what are some, tell me about a time where you were performing and something went wrong. When I was performing and something went wrong, you know, that's just about every performance. I think that's why improv training is so important for performers so that you can remain in the moment and deal with something. I'll tell you a very funny story about when something almost went disastrously long, disastrously wrong. Shout out to Pete Phillips if he's watching. Um, there was this one time we were um, doing a set change. How do I describe this? With a really large steel panel that had like a double hinging joint on the top. And at one point we had to pull one pin so another could get dropped in so it could hinge on a different. Well, it may have been that uh, at one point both pins were pulled and this huge steel frame was falling onto the audience. And if we hadn't just kind of reached out and sacrificed our bodies and went, no, (laughs) there may have been some injury there. Um, that's more of a backstage kind of story than what went wrong as a performer. Um, well, still don't, I mean, those are very important. Uh, one time we did a uh, Sight and Sounds Ruth here at LBC, and uh, they have a remote controlled boat at one point, and but the boat got caught on, uh, or the curtain, the main stage curtain rope got caught on the boat, and it started dragging the rope out. If it had gone more. <laughs> so i i i with like a sprained ankle had to fight this boat to try and you know make sure the curtain didn't come falling down meanwhile he's like pulling in the full gear like why isn't this moving (laughs) sure sure and when you're when you're a performer or when you're working backstage or any level of of uh you know 
production on a show like that, there is this panic and sense of urgency of, no, any mistakes must be completely concealed from the audience. And right. we have to pull off this illusion of a well-oiled machine. Um, which I love that feeling. I love the, the, the community, the camaraderie that gets built around that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, thankfully, I can't really think of too many moments as a performer that things went terribly wrong. That's good. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> well, tell me about the, the improv practice that you should have under your belt, so that way if things do go wrong, that you can work your way out of it. Sure, yeah, improv. Improv is a very important skill for uh, actors, I think. And I will always admit that it's not one that I'm very strong at. You know what I mean? Like, improv people, uh, and there's a great group here in Lancaster, um, Lancaster Improv, Lancaster, yeah. uh, LIP, what is it? Lancaster Improv Players. Players. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I forgot your name. But go check out that group. They have some really good teachers. They have some excellent classes. And improv, as its own animal, um, and if you want to learn improv, go to an improv person. Um, but being able to stay in the moment and not getting locked in your head if something goes wrong, being able to trust yourself as a performer, staying there with the audience, um, takes a lot of bravery. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, I think, a lot of actors hide in the lines. They hide in the rehearsed movements, and it's as long as I'm doing this thing, I'm doing my job, which, you know, for the most part is true. But when things go wrong... How do you get them back on track? And sometimes it could just be having an outline, you know, knowing what what you have to redirect to get to the next part. But I, I think the I think the main part of improv is just staying in the moment and allowing yourself to play. Mm. This is we are playing. You know, this this is this is very important and there are very, you know, there's a lot of money in this high industry stakes. and there are high stakes, but we are still playing. Still playing make-believe. And I think improv, more than any other uh, discipline or skill set, reminds the performer to play. That's awesome. Yeah. So you also have some songs. I got some songs, Yeah. I'm a little bit of a musician. I do say a little bit of a musician. Um, so as you know, you read in my bio, uh, during COVID, I got a little bit of a hobby. I became a little bit of a hobbyist at recording my own uh, music. And like I said, I will never call my pr- myself a producer because those people have completely different skill sets that I do not possess. Um, but it's it's... It's a huge thing of passion for me. I love playing music just for myself. I love writing songs and recording it. I love performing in front of people. But if I never make a dollar for any of the music that I create, I'll be happy with it just because it's such a cathartic thing just for me, Mm. you know? 
So we have a few of your songs. Tell me about the, the songwriting process for for uh, just a quick note. That is a great question. And I like the way that you asked it that way because that's also how I approach... Whenever an actor or another performer asks me for feedback, that's the first thing I asked. What was the process like? You know, because that will help me see how things got there. But So the process for writing this... Um, actually came from a previous relationship that I was in, and I basically wrote this song for her son, who was, I think, 13 at the time. And like many people during that time, was really poking a lot of important questions at himself, who he is, trying to know himself. Um, And just a quick note, kind of just came out of something that I would like to say to those kind of people, to anybody who's in that moment. Mm. Um, and, and more specifically to, uh, to male-identifying people just because of the, the way the lyrics are. But you'll see that in a second. And with that said, this is just a quick note by Adam Kissinger. Just a quick note to a young man No one tells you when your youth is through It's just up to you to learn to play And make that feeling stay Knowing there's a watchful eye on you Knowing there's a watchful eye on you Just a quick note to a young man tell you when you're a man you'll just start to notice everything you do is wrong you'll step out of line in time you'll hate your favorite song you just want to run away someplace to be alone and that's okay because you'll be doing it on your own just a quick reminder to a young friend No one can tell you when you're a man Cause you are You keep your head up when you can and you'll go far A very, very nice and short song. Yeah, it's a nice little ditty. So we have uh, Breathe Forward. Another one of your songs. Breathe Forward, yeah. Um... Sometimes songs just kind of fall out of me and I let it happen. That's that I think that's a usually a good description of my writing process. Mm. It's kind of stream of consciousness and then maybe I'll do some editing later. Breathe forward was the opposite of that. That was very calculated. And I don't know why I didn't mention this at all, but Breathe Forward is also the name of my Alba teaching business. So if you want to check out yeah. my website breatheforward.com um Breathe forward, those two words kind of encapsulates my notion of how the album method might be able to help people. Mm. Literally using your breath to carry yourself through a situation forward in a better direction than just staying and ruminating or moving backward or trying to go over things. Um, stay in the moment and move forward. And 
I think that's all I'm going to say for the intro for this week. Well, there you go. This is a brief forward by Adam Kissinger. spend the whole day earning for all it's worth it's burning you out and you start to lose interest as all your principles run south and all that you collect is that tension in your neck and all the stress getting thinner and the air is getting thinner in your chest you've got to breathe you've got to forward we have one more song hand in hand talk to me about it hand in hand i suppose is just a message that i wanted to say to people as they were getting more and more divided over the last couple years and i think we all have an opinion on that (laughs) um but it's kind of just a reminder of we are all we have Mm. Is that all you got? That's all I got. And that is a hand in hand with our by Adam Kissinger. This is the day I stand beside the man I thought was my enemy. This is my land and it is yours. Hand in hand, we changed the course we used to play. 
And then we blamed, and then we screamed, but now we're done, and moving on, we'll see through darkness until the dawn, this is the day I stand beside the man I thought was my enemy, this is my land. And it is yours, hand in hand, we changed the course, we used our guns, we used our bombs, but now we sing and get along, we share the past in our songs, and our futures looking strong. This is the day I stand beside The man I thought was my enemy This is my land And it is yours Hand in hand We change the course only me we're getting older we're getting weak we're getting wise and getting over what we don't want our children to own now we can fight and we can hide or we can rise when we decide The way no government can provide This is the day I stand beside The man I thought was my enemy This is my land And it is yours Hand in hand We change the course That was Hand in Hand by Adam Kissinger. Where can people find you? Where can people uh, check you out? Yeah, so first of all, I got a couple of uh, gigs coming up through the Actors School. Uh, Next week, we have a date night. So if anybody wants to go on a date at the Conestoga House and Gardens, just outside of Lancaster. Um, So check out their website, Conestoga House and Gardens. I'll be walking around just kind of playing some acoustic music. Um, 
And it's a, a picnic style thing. So you can order some food, you can bring a bottle of wine. But if you've never been to the gardens, I highly recommend that you go. It's such really a beautiful place. Yeah, they do so well to take care of that. Um, next month at the same venue, I am very happy that we're, we're, we're doing a jazz night and I'm very happy to have uh, uh, Bjorn and Robin coming in. So if you know them, yeah. Bjorn oh, Jacobson, of course they do. Yeah. Robin Chambers, yeah, they're I fantastic musicians. Please, please check them out and support them. And then we're, we, at the same venue, we have an Oktoberfest gig coming up on October 1st. And finally, we have a murder mystery coming up on November 11th at the Stevens Ballroom, the Stevens Veterans School Ballroom. Uh, is it? Veterans Day, yeah. Oh, okay, 11, yeah, yeah, yeah. 11, yeah. Um, and that's going to be, uh, I think we're calling the show Which Holiday Is It Anyway? Because it's like right in the middle of November. <laughs> so we're going to have holidays fighting over the space for November. I, I, I hope it, Veterans Day wins. That'd be really <laughs> <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> um. And then other than that, you can find us on uh, Facebook for Actor School or Rad Scrapple. You can also go to our website, uh, LancasterActingSchool.com. Check out some of our videos on TikTok for Rad Scrapple. Um, We've been basically a a social media kind of uh, comedy troupe there, but we're, uh, I think, mainly focusing on TikTok because Instagram deleted one of our accounts. So So that's it. TikTok is where it's at anyway. Um, and then also you can check out breatheforward.com for the Alba stuff. Um, in addition to teaching this to, uh, you know, actors and just regular individuals, this is also something that I'm offering to, uh, businesses or corporations to come in as like a team building exercise or an awareness kind of thing. Uh, it is something that I really, really value and I really think it's important that I, and I really like to share it with other people well if you want to follow us you can follow the story on anywhere just look up the story Corey rosen that's c-o-r-y-r-o-s-e-n you'll find us there if and we're going to continue on facebook live so if you want to follow that go over there with all that said catch you later catch you later <laughs> all right so now that's out of the way <clears throat> Let's talk about some of my must-ask questions. Must-ask questions. Must-ask, everybody. Uh, what are some of the mistakes that you have made or you've seen other people make, and how can we prevent future generations from making those same mistakes? Mistakes? Mistakes. Are we talking about, like, humanity or just in the in, realm of theater? In the realm of theater, in the realm okay. of te- technical directorship. Sure, sure. <sighs> Civility. Mm. Civility. If you have, if you're in a theater group and you're working with a performer and you think that they're not up to your snuff, they're still a person. Treat them like a person, not a low-level performer that you think they are or something like that. And know thyself. I think that's always an important thing. Specifically... Within this area, within this discipline, there's this thing where people walk out of academia and they assume that their education is experience. Mm. Appreciate what you have. Appreciate your ability to apply it. But 
also appreciate that anything in life takes time. It takes time. You know, let yourself build there. Don't don't let your ambition block you from that next important lesson. Mm-hmm. And especially in this, nobody has all the answers. You know, I, I feel like sometimes in, in theater companies, people get put in a leadership position and they feel like they're expected to just know all the answers. When kind of like what we were talking about improv during those moments, it's important to just stay in the moment look at what's going on and keep part of your heart while you're responding. You've also given a TED Talk. I've given a TED Talk? Haven't you? I don't think so. No? Oh. I must have been mistaken. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whoopsies. That's okay. Uh, you, but you're talking about acting. See, look what you just did. I made you a didn't try to pre- You didn't try to smooth it all over and say, no. no, I'm the professional. This is my show. You made a mistake. You said, I hey, I made a mistake. And everybody's going, okay, cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, but you talk about how actors put on the field of ignorance and they become close-minded. Sure. Is that part of the mistake that you... That that you, that you think people should be aware of? Yeah, just with, I mean, that applies to just about anything. But if you're forcing a situation where you don't have all the information, you're probably not going to end up with the results that you wanted in the first place. And I think that kind of goes back to what is, the, what is your personal goal as an artist? Because there's this assumption, I feel like, in the theater community that, that everybody has a similar goal, you know, especially in this area, just to, to get to New York, to get to the next mm. mark of a professional. The mark of a professional is acting professionally. I mean, behaving professionally with your, whoever you're around. Um, and I think it's kind of easy for people to forget about that. So as a technical director, explain to people what, what is a technical director? What do they do? How do they help the show run? Yeah. Uh, we sort a lot of screws. You, you, know, you take the screws and you sort them by length, pretty much. No, I'm just joking. A technical director is someone who's in charge of all of the technical aspects of a performance. Um, and I've done it mostly in academia. So in, in college programs, they're usually the one person on staff who's in charge of the lights, the audio, the set, those things. Um, and maintaining the shop, working with students, you know, helping them learn how to uh, safely learn theater construction or, or other uh, stagecraft. Um, so yeah, it's it's overseeing all of the areas of a production that aren't necessarily the actor's job or the director's job. And the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's also making sure that the vision is possible and not impossible. Sure, sure, yeah, helping helping to um, to achieve the vision of the designers. Yeah. So what does that conversation look like? Does a designer say, hey, I want to do this giant thing? And you're like, hold on a second. 
Let's think about this. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes the designer will say, you know, I want all of these amazing elements, and it's the tech director's job in the uh, in the production meetings to say, well, here's the budget, and here's what's possible uh, based on either you know the budget or laws of physics. Um, but I think that's an that's an okay dynamic. You know, it's okay for the the designers to to push for the glories of their design and see how far that they can get. Fair enough. Yeah, sometimes the tech director has to rein them in, and sometimes you just have to go with it and do the thing and, and do it as best you can. What do you think is one of your most favorite shows to have uh, technical directed? Hmm, that's a really good question. As a tech director... I think one of the most favorite shows that I ever worked on maybe Fuddy Mirrors back at Kutztown. I really enjoyed building the set for that. Explain why. Fuddy Mirrors. Um, <laughs> the, the show itself was a lot of fun. Uh, I liked the, the design of the set. Um I think it's just a, I guess a happy memory. You know, it's a it's a nostalgic a nostalgic thing to think about that production. Um, well, what's the thing about the funny mirrors that was really fun? Like, what is the show about? I guess is the question. We. I don't know how to sum up that script at all. It's a it, so there were. Um, it's it gets a little dark at sometimes, but there are, there are elements of. Different kind of hmm, characters on the uh, the mental health spectrum. I think that's a good way to say it. Um, One character almost specifically communicates through a puppet. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun, though. I I, I think a, you know the, the the text itself is part of why I I had so much fun with that show, um, but I think going back to just the 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 nostalgia of the era of when we were doing that, um, and I think is that what it was it? one of my first shows that I was completely in charge of the technical aspects of. So I think that's that's probably a point of pride. It's probably why that one sticks out so much. Fair enough. Um, and I've done a lot of fun things as a carpenter and just a, a stagehand in general. I feel like as, direct, as tech director, a lot of the, the stories that I have are just kind of run of the mill. <laughs> well, then what are some Which of your... is good. Nothing right, bad course, happened. I never dropped anything on anybody. Nothing ever broke. Uh, that's good enough for me. Well, that, that's very... I'm okay with having all my excitement yeah. as a performer or something else and... Not as the tech director. <laughs> so tell me an exciting story in a different role then. An exciting story for a different role. Like you said you had some fun stories about being a carpenter or... Well, um, I spent a few years working at the Fulton Theater in their shop. And I was a carpenter and also for a while I was the, their welder. Um, so working on some of the shows that they did in the past couple years... 
uh, I guess this was 2017 through 2019 mainly, um, getting to work, coming from the theater that I did, coming from my experience of doing a lot of smaller things, a lot of low-budget stuff, and then working for a space like that, it was just so much fun to be a part of building bigger spectacle. You know what I mean? Um, Building the towers for uh, Hunchback. Mm. Um, Are there any techniques that you have to do for specifically uh, theater designs, theater sets, as opposed to anything else? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Construction is completely different, you know. I mean, if if you kind of look at, like, the... With, with high schools and things like that where you usually have the dads coming in to build the mm-hmm. set and they're overbuilt and it might as well be a house because they built it like a house. Um, stagecraft and, and, and car, or construction techniques for theater are completely different. You know, if, it's, if it doesn't have to be manipulated or stood on, stood on, it can be kind of completely fake, you know. Um, obviously, you know, safety is one of the biggest things. Like, and making sure that actors are comfortable when they're, you know, climbing high high platforms or or or, or things like that. But um, it's it's still kind of like magic to me, and I feel like a I feel like a good portion of my career has been as a technician, you know, not just a performer. I really tried to diversify myself so that I could always be working in theater. Uh, until COVID closed them all down. I did not have enough diversity for that. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's very difficult to be a full-time performer. And I just fell in love with the technical aspect of things, too. So I always wanted to have that process be a part of my life. Um, and then just learning new techniques of construction from, you know, people who have been working in this industry for so long. I got to come back to the word magic. It just feels like magic. You know, you're pulling off illusions. Mm. And it's it's cooperation because it's not just the set and the way that it's built, but the scenic artists and the way they paint everything, the way it has to look under the lights. The way, way far away. Yeah, the way if you isolate any of these elements and it looks completely different. Um, yeah, the magic of pulling off an illusion is always, always satisfying. If you had to give three shows that everyone should watch, what would they be? Hmm, that's a good question. Three shows that I believe everybody should watch. Are we talking about just plays here? Plays or musicals? Yeah. Let's cut it down to musicals. How about that? Cut it down to musicals? Cut it down to musicals. Oh, no. I am not the most well-versed in musicals, but... Oh, are you more well-versed in plays, then? I don't know if I'm well-versed in anything, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, I guess my top three for plays that have influenced me that I believe are important for other people to experience. Uh, Pirandello would be at the top with um, six characters in search of an author. Mm. I would have to recommend Martin McDonough 
uh, The Pillow Man. It's a very... It's it's not that script is not going to be for everybody. It can be very chilling. It's basically it's kind of like a horror movie, oh, you wow. know. But th- that the way that that script examines the importance of storytelling, and then I think it could be important for people to see. I'm just going to throw this one out as like a selfish plug. Um, a short film produced by this group called Rad Scrapple uh, <laughs> called World Fixer. Check out World Fixer. It's something that we just put out in the last couple months. It's a 10-minute play. Um, and this is absolutely a selfish plug because I wrote it, but <laughs> I... I think it's kind of something important to get out there right now. Well, fair enough. So what is one way we can encourage other people to do uh, music or acting? Have no shame. Follow your passion. Don't be afraid to suck. You're going to suck at first. You're, you're, it takes years to get good at anything, especially w- if it's, you know... Uh, it's theoretical. Almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and don't feel like because you're not like somebody else is a failure. You know, we need more voices to we need diversity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Every single person has something to offer that nobody else has thought of yet. You know, don't be afraid to put that out there. And, 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 and going back to the notion of it has to be play. It has to be play. I really don't. I mean, if you were listening so far and you heard those songs, you probably noticed I really don't take myself seriously, especially when recording music. It is, it's an expression, you know? And don't limit yourself to anything that anybody else ever told you. Please don't define yourself by any previous feedback that you ever got from somebody because who knows what they knew? Who knows if they're wrong? Or who knows if they thought you were trying, intentionality is so important, who knows if they thought you were intending something else, but you actually succeeded what you're trying to do, but they didn't get it. Because appreciation of art is such a personal thing. And you grow over time anyway. So what what they said might not even apply anymore. Yeah, you absolutely grow over time. Um, Here's an analogy I was using with uh, one of my colleagues the other day. So I had a a 15-pound weight you know, like a dumbbell. And I asked him, I started lifting the weight. And I was like, if I do this for 10 minutes, how big do you think my arm's going to be? It's not going to be very big. It's not going to be bigger at all. No. If you do an exercise for 10 minutes, like a physical exercise, it's not going to be, if you do that for 10 minutes every day, over time there's going to be progress. If you pick up a monologue or an instrument or anything and you feel like, you didn't nail it at first. That was just an exercise. You have to do that exercise over and over and over again before you have these small realizations that lead to the bigger realizations. And then you're starting to understand it. Um, but I would strongly recommend that people let their appreciation lead them. Mm. You know, follow your heart. It's really that simple. 
go after what you think is amazing, whether the people around you think it's amazing or not. And then one last question. What is one thing that you know now that you wish you had known when you first started? Taxes. <laughs> if you're a performer and you're getting paid in a 1099, you need to know what you need to write off, how to do that kind of stuff. This is stuff that they did not teach us in my acting program or in my, you know, where I went to college. But, you know, <laughs> the, the business end serious. of things taking it. Yeah, absolutely. Like tax, it's a, it's funny, but also yeah. yes, you need to learn your taxes, especially if you're a 1099. Yep. You're your own contractor. Learn what you can write off, what you can't write off. Uh, we're not going to give any financial advice, but <laughs> I am not a financial advisor. We are not financial advisors, but these are things you need to know because the IRS will come for your money. And yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And another important lesson is, I'm not right. I'm in any situation, you have to think that I may not be right. I may not, you know, I may, there may be something that I'm not considering, or there may be something, some personal goal of mine that is blocking my view from being present and aware. And especially in this field, even though I've learned so much over so much time from so many amazing teachers their lessons might not be the appropriate thing for the, the circumstances that you're currently in. Um, success of any given performance is not just about how the performer felt about it. Who are you doing it for? Who is your audience? Always consider that. So, with that said, this has been Adam Kissinger. Find them at uh, at all of his websites. Go ahead and list them off. Oh, my goodness. So start with breatheforward.com. You can check out the Actors School at LancasterActingSchool.com. Um, you can probably find his work in the upcoming semester at PA Burks. Yeah, Penn State Burks. Um, I, I sh- yes, uh, I'm not sure what show is going up this semester, but um, I will definitely be there. <laughs> and be sure to check out all of his stuff coming up with the the school that like he said <laughs> like he said so well um and yeah i'm around hit me up on facebook you know I, I i am just a huge nerd when it comes to this i'm so happy just talking about it just talking about people's different opinions of of art or aesthetics or theater or any of that um dramaturgy <laughs> like if if you have any nerd passion for any of those things and you want to participate in this area uh just reach out to me or anybody else who's in any of the groups everybody wants more people to work with right now and we right. all have things it's to all collaborate Collaboration. You know, absolutely. Collaboration is so important. Building community between the groups that already exist. Like the 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 reins are I don't know if other people feel this, but the reins are starting to be pulled off, you know, like ever since we're starting to peek our head really out of COVID, everybody is starting to want to do things again. People want to be audience members, people want to be performers. Go do something, represent yourself, know yourself, follow your heart. So it's 
it's never been a better time to go out and do something than now where everybody ha- has been, you know, caged in for two years almost and they want to get out. Yeah, I think that's very true. So if you have enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, follow, subscribe, share, all that fun stuff. If you want to support what we do, you can find us anywhere on The Story Pod. Sorry. The Story Corey Rosen, C O R Y R O S E N. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Spotify, Apple, all the all the things. Even TikTok, we're starting a TikTok. If you, uh, which is, which will be exclusive stuff, not on this podcast. <laughs> and if you really uh, feel generous and want to support what I do, you can go to the shop. We have stickers and shirts and hoodies with the first fifty guests on the back, and those run out in September. So be sure to get one in now. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. You can check in tomorrow. We're going to be having a uh, a teacher from FNM, uh, Miss Kathleen Horine. Uh, I really shouldn't know how to how to pronounce the last name. I keep messing it up. I think, but it's okay. We're going to have her tomorrow, and hope you guys enjoy that. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you guys later. Bye.